All right, I'll look for that. Thank you all both. Have a great day. Um, Raphael Guanetti joins us right now, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Good morning, Raphael. How are you? I'm fine, Tommy. Good morning. Um, Mayor Cantrell yesterday announced her new violence reduction task force that um, didn't include the city council, really, or I don't think, I don't know if she's a part of it or not. Talk to me about what the plan says and your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, the plan or the the appointments seem a little redundant to me because there's an office in her administration for that purpose, and that's the criminal Office of Criminal Justice Coordination, mm-hmm. which is exactly what that's doing. There's a, uh, a fine young woman uh, that heads that up, and she's been there since Mayor Cantrell was elected in the first term. So I don't really understand what this uh, violence reduction initiative does that the existing office wasn't supposed to be doing in all of this. So, uh, and then it's, I think it's odd that one of two things that one, she selected the head of the communications. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand. Explain that Raphael, who it is. Cause I didn't, I didn't get that at all. Where'd that come from? I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to have her on to explain that. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, well, the Orleans, com- the head of it is uh, the Orleans Parish Communications District Director Tyrell Morris, who is in charge of the 911 center, right? Exactly. And you know, why not the police chief? Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not the mayor taking the lead on that? She's talking about how she's laser focused on it, and there's nothing more important than public safety and crime. Isn't that deserving of her time and efforts? Why does she appoint? The head of the communications district, which, by the way, is under investigation by the inspector general's office for the city of New Orleans. So if you're going to try and get all of the different public officials, uh, like the district attorney and, and the judges from criminal district court and juvenile court, I don't know if the head of communications district is the person that's going to be able to rally uh, their cooperation, and uh, you know, the it all starts with the police department, and why she wouldn't ask the superintendent to, to spearhead it. Maybe the superintendent doesn't have the time, but you know, I think that 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 press conference yesterday didn't really break new ground because there's essentially a. Uh, an agency in city government that was supposed to be doing that all along anyway. I think it would be laughable were the stakes not so serious, the, the idiocy that's coming out of City Hall. Oliver Thomas says, I'm kind of blanked off. It was a major slight, especially given the fact that I've tried to conduct myself in a fair way to make sure that I can work with everybody. And I think he's right there. I, I, I don't understand. Um, the stakes are extremely high, Raphael. I, I'm preaching to the choir when I say that, and the mayor doesn't seem to get that. I, I don't understand what's going on. I really don't. Well, obviously she doesn't either, and that's what is so disturbing, uh, you know, about this. That's what makes crime is always going to be a problem, but when the you know political leadership. Uh, serves as an impediment to 
addressing the crime issues, that's what's truly unacceptable. That's why the public uh, in November passed the city charter uh, change that requires the city council to approve any department head that the mayor appoints. That wasn't a, a general policy. That was in response to the mayor's poor judgment and poor leadership, and the general public decided that they wanted protections against this mayor or from this mayor making imprudent decisions moving forward. I don't think the mayor has truly grasped that, or she has. She doesn't really care about it. So, uh, you know, again, uh, if we're going to come out of this, and I believe that we will, I think the city council is going to have to play a more prominent role, and they're prepared to do it. I think the public is more engaged today than I've seen in any time over the last three years on public safety in demanding more of their public officials, and their public officials are responding to it. You know, keep in mind that, you know, everything that we're talking about with the mayor, these were issues that emerged in 2020 when she did nothing about it, and, and it got worse in 2021. She did nothing about it. And it wasn't until the public in mid-last year uh, started to recognize that their public safety, their rights to feel safe in their homes and communities and workplaces was being compromised and demanded something be done about it, that was only when the mayor decided to embed herself in the police department. And as a result of that, I think the next superintendent is going to have resources that the former superintendent never had available to him. You're going to have pay raises that will help with recruitment and retention, new equipment, new technology, a greater sense of urgency, if not from the mayor, from all the other criminal justice officials. So I think that things will improve going forward, but it didn't have to, to get this bad. It shouldn't have had to have gotten this bad before we saw actions from this mayor. But, we, you know, we're, we're dealing with a hand we've been dealt, and uh, yesterday's press conference was another head-scratcher for me. It, it, it seems, Raphael, and I don't want to drag you down my hole or anything, but it, it's just such idiocy. It seems as though she thinks she's talking to an audience on a national stage that doesn't really know what's going on, and she thinks that she can use catchwords like war room and this and that and the other thing, where it might sound good on a national news network, but the people here are saying, what the hell are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? That's at least the way yeah. it strikes me. Well, I think the people here are much more sophisticated about crime and, and the cause and effect. You know, they've, they've looked at the crime statistics that we make available on a weekly basis. The general public has grasped since 2020 that the crime rate has gone up as the numbers of officers have gone down. And it's, it's a head-scratcher to try and figure out why it took three years for this mayor to address that issue. But, you know, I think the silent majority has become the vocal majority now, and I think that is what is generating the sense of urgency. Think of what were left to the devices of the mayor. It would be, you know, maintaining the status quo and be more focused on where's 
her next first-class flight going to take her on, quote-unquote, official city business? So with all of that being said, and we're going to talk about the numbers when you come back here in a minute after the break, but are we any closer, really? And I ask everybody I talk to the same question. You know, despite Pichardo and plans and deployment and uh, resignation and search and perf turning the council down, are we really any closer to dealing with violent crime or, or, or changing anything that happens with violent crime or even auto theft or anything else break-ins in the Crescent City than we were six months ago, because I don't really think that we are. You can tell me when we come back, Rafael Goyeneche, president of the New Orleans Metropolitan Crime Commission. That's not to say that at some point it's going to get better, but I'd like to know what is actively being done, because I, I, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Maybe y'all do. You can text me at 504-260-1870. I know Terrell Morris, according to Facebook, not only does he head up the 911 center, but he's a real estate gladiator, so it would seem self-described, so it would seem as though, again, another city employee that's working in one capacity and then got a side hustle as well. 920, back in a flash, WWL. 925, Tommy Tucker talking to Rafael Goineche, our friend, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Rafael, uh, the head of the mayor's new task force, um... Apparently is a, a real estate agent as well, a self-described real estate gladiator. So not only do you have a redundant department, but now you have the head of the task force that also has a second gig, as do a lot of the city for, city uh, hall leaders, right? All right. So, you know, apparently he's not a full-time employee of the city, even though he's being paid as one, because his real estate uh, revenue is dependent upon how much time he puts in that yeah. and, and to be so clear, the DA has a similar arrangement, except now with real estate, with law, correct? Well, yeah. Now, I don't know if he's doing that or not. I know that uh, there was a, a pause button set on that. Okay. So I just, I just don't know if uh, he is working for that law firm. I just, I'm un- unaware of that. But, you know, you were asking before the break, you know, what, What's the way out? What, yeah. what is, is anything? Are we any are closer? We are we so any closer? There's couple, so there's a couple of things that happened uh, right after Michelle Woodcourt was appointed. She made some sweeping changes in the deputy chiefs, and we assigned almost every district commander and made a number of significant changes. The people that she put in as deputy chiefs are people that. Uh, are respected within the police department, Uh, not to demean anybody, but I think that her appointments indicate that she is approaching the interim police chief uh, position as an opportunity to prove that, you know, she's worthy of consideration for the permanent appointment. The people that she's put in there are people that, uh, have distinguished themselves largely during their career as being uh, good cops, cops that can lead, cops that can effectuate change, starting with the head of the operations division, Hans Guntier. He was the commander in the French Quarter. And one of the things that the police department stopped doing to a great extent 
during COVID and never really resumed to the point that I believe that they should is proactive policing. Mm -hmm. Hans Gauthier in the 8th District began to be much more proactive than some of the other leaders. And what I'm looking at, what I'm referring to is that he went back to gun enforcement and looking for people carrying concealed weapons uh, in the French Quarter. And he had his officers in that district trying to identify individuals that were illegally in possession of concealed weapons or stolen property or felons in possession of firearms. And if he brings that philosophy to the entire police department, we have the reports that we put out on a weekly basis show that about 50% of the violent crime is concentrated in two of the eight police districts. If we can reduce violent crime in those two districts by 50%, then we've reduced violent crime in the city of New Orleans by 25%. So I think that with proactive policing, uh, more of a strategy under this new uh, administration of Superintendent Woodfork, I think we can make an, uh, an impact on violent crime while we're rebuilding the numbers of the New Orleans Police Department, which will take three to five years uh, to, to rebuild the numbers that we need to adequately police the city. But proactive policing is the stopgap measure that can allow the police department to deploy their limited resources more strategically, more beneficially to impact public safety and drive down the violent crime rate. So Godier would be the person responsible for the gun seizures that we saw. I think it was by uh, what was it? Um, the um, uh, help me out the uh, the game gambling uh, rambling in Southern the uh, right in the eighth district right you know so so essentially Bayou Classic uh, that weekend, Bayou yeah, Classic Bayou is what Classic I was looking for New Year's and Eve right Halloween weekend even Halloween too yeah. that, mm-hmm. he made 31, 31 gun arrests his, his officers in his district so if all we're doing is responding to calls for service that means crimes have already been committed. So by doing proactive policing, every gun arrest that they make, they're stopping somebody. They are patting them down. They're finding an illegal weapon. Some of those uh, uh, stops are going to yield people that are wanted for more serious felonies. And in full full compliance, Raphael, in full compliance with the consent decree, correct? Exactly. Being proactive policing is not mutually exclusive to constitutional policing and is not prohibited by the consent decree we uh i mentioned jason williams before and you know it's not all about nopd you got judges and you got the district attorney as well um is jason williams doing everything he can to to keep a lid on his thing no he can he can step up his game i've met with him he's uh he's amenable and and i think he's also, you know, demonstrated his willingness to change. When he ran for office, he said he was never going to charge a juvenile as an adult, was never going to utilize the uh, material witness warrants, and was never going to advocate for high bail. All of those have been reversed. The one area that he hasn't reversed, and he absolutely has to if he's going to have an impact, is the... uh, 
utilization of the habitual offender statute. He's not backed off of that position yet. And unless and until he does, you're going to see the revolving door continue uh, where the police make the arrests, they obtain a conviction, and those individuals that have committed serious crimes are receiving lesser sentences or uh, sentences or even worse, are granted probation, and that undermines public safety and the credibility of the police department and makes for the public uh, dis- distrusting the criminal justice system. So I think there's some, some movement in the district attorney's office, some recognition. Keep in mind that he had never been a prosecutor. He's been a prosecutor for all of two years now, and he has never managed an office uh, the size and the scope of the New Orleans District Attorney's Office. This has been a learning event for him. And he's a quick learner. He's a bright guy. And he's indicated a willingness to reconsider some of his strategies. And, um, you know, I'm continuing to meet with him. And he's he's making, uh, I think, some changes. The last one that I think he needs to make is the revisiting and revising his absolute policy of never utilizing the habitual offender statute. Let's talk about the third leg of the stool, judges, criminal court, and um, juvenile court. Right. So two separate animals. With juvenile court, I think that we need more transparency there because of some of the secrecy uh, involving juvenile offenders. You don't want to, you know, uh, expose juveniles to... uh, scrutiny that will follow them around the rest of their lives. But I think that in light of what's happened, when those laws were confected for juveniles, a lot of the juveniles were involved in low-level property offenses. Now we're seeing, you know, a small percentage but a growing number of violent juvenile offenders that are going through the system. And I think that the system needs to uh, distinguish between the nonviolent ju- juvenile offenders and the violent juvenile offenders. And I think that the lack of transparency and accountability because of some of the archaic policies involving juvenile crime and juvenile offenders, that needs to be revisited in the legislature. There needs to be, uh, the public needs to have access to, and uh, and, uh, there needs to be more accountability on the part of the judges with respect to their decisions uh, pertaining to violent uh, juvenile offenders. With respect to the adult offenders in criminal district court, uh, I think that the system has largely been throttled down since uh, covid It's starting to stand up right now, but we're looking at a tremendous backlog of cases in the criminal district court. But I can say that unless and until the district attorney's office gets their act together, and I was looking at some statistics from Jason's office on his dashboard yesterday, about 45% of his office has been hired within the past year. No organization can can run on that type of turnover rate. Mm-hmm. He's got to stabilize that office. 
he's got to have more experience. It's great that he's trying a murder case right now, but that's not what he was elected to do. He was elected to manage that office. He's a talented trial attorney, but if he's trying a case, he's putting all of his efforts into one case, a couple of weeks preparation before that, and whether this is a one- or a two-week trial. So you got the DA in the uh, largest district attorney's office in the state of Louisiana with the biggest violent crime problem handling one case for anywhere from two to four weeks. That's not a recipe for success at all. You can't try them unless you get them to court. What about the criminal sheriff? Is it still a problem getting the prisoners to court? What's the latest on that? Well, she's been getting up to court, and some of the judges threatened to mandamus her uh, and actually, you know, subpoenaed her to come to court. What does that Uh, mean, Raphael? That's legalese. What does mandamus mean? Forcing her to do her duty. Under the law, she has a legal obligation to bring the inmates to court under the orders of the court, and she was refusing to do that. So that has been corrected now. So the inmates, I'm told, are getting over there right now. But I think that we need to not only rebuild the police department, the district attorney's office needs to stabilize. And once they are stabilized, they can start to process and move some of the cases that have been building up over the past two years. I don't know how you sleep at night. I really don't. Um, let's talk about the. I really don't. I mean it sincerely because you you know you you know you're seeing watching the sausage being made. Um, the council talking about uh, parking lot attendance to require uh, parking lots to have attendance during Saints Pelicans game. Parking lot owners saying, "Well, wait a minute. That's not what our people do. That's not what they're trained for." Your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, so I mean, this is all part of you know, the cause and effect between allowing the police department to atrophy and the numbers to reduce the lowest levels we've seen in 80 years. The criminals know that the odds are in their favor. They know that if there's a game going on, no one's going to be coming looking for their car for the next two to uh, to four hours. And they know that most of the cops that are there are working in the, in the stadium on crowd control. So they realize that, you know, the odds are that they can get away with these, these burglaries and car thefts. And I think what the police department's going to have to do and what some of the, uh, the parking lots are going to have to do is, is probably use technology, crime cameras. Those cameras can be tied into the real-time crime center with the city of New Orleans, and that may be a, a more effective and efficient way to, to manage and monitor what's going on. Because if we put more officers on patrol around the dome preventing burglaries and break-ins, then that means there's fewer officers available in other parts of town to deal with some of the more serious crimes that are being perpetrated. So, again, every action... Uh, by the police department means they have to take their limited resources from one area and apply them to another. And by addressing the burglaries around the Pelicans and Saints games means that they have less resources to address the burglaries that are happening in people's homes in other parts of town. You can only paint so much wall with so much paint. Thank you, Raphael. I appreciate your time.
Anytime. Raphael yeah. Goen, Eche, President, Metropolitan Crime Commission. We are talking about that mess with the FAA yesterday and the flights that were canceled and delayed. 939 traffic now on WWL.